I thought I had a, I thought I had a good work and title for this morning, and uh, I, I thought it was going to be, don't fear death or or no fear of death or something along those lines, but I'm actually going to change it. I'm going to change the title to don't chicken out. <laughs> don't chicken out, and uh, you'll kind of see where I'm going with this. I'm going to take I'm going to take my verse our, our first verse of scripture this morning out of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start in the 28th verse. This is Jesus. Now he's speaking to a multitude, but he's speaking to his disciples that are amongst it or before it, however you want to look at it. But anyway, so he's uh, he's in a discourse and he's talking to the twelve. And the reason we know he's in with the multitude is Luke tells us over in Luke chapter 12. He says that there is a multitude, and, and he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. So we're going to look in Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 33. And, and this is something that Jesus is saying to the disciples there, to the twelve. And, uh, and he says this, he says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And that's where I want to stop. Uh, I, would, I just want to use those five verses. And for a title this morning, I'd like to use Don't Chicken Out. And, uh, and so you've got to remember what, what, what Jesus is teaching his disciples or what he's instructing them in. He's instructing them in a task that he is laying before their shoulders and really of the things that they will face um, and, uh, in, in, you know, coming down the road. Uh, and, uh, and in this instance here, he's actually choosing them out and, uh, and he's, 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 he, he, Matthew gives us the name of the twelve apostles here. And he gives them the power to cast out all manner of sickness. And he's getting ready to send them out. But he gives them this instruction in the fifth verse of Matthew chapter 10. He says, the, To the twelve Jesus sent forth, and he commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and not into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says this, and, and, and having that be your message, he says, Then do these works, and, and these works will support the message. Right? He says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Uh, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves uh, or staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And in a wither city or town ye shall enter in, enter, inquire who in it 
is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not, if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. As for those people, he says, Verily I say it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Why? Because that city rejected the gospel. <laughs> they, they, didn't, they, did, they rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is uh, what, the, what the apostles were sent to proclaim, right? That the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Or it's near. Very near. At Mars Hill, Paul says so close that the Lord is so close that if happily you would seek after him, you could find him. He's saying this to them, knowing that there were wolves that were lying in the way that were going to take advantage of them and use them and spitefully accuse them. The very next verse, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, but be ye there, listen to this, he says, Be ye therefore wise as serpents. Be very thoughtful in how you approach. Be very, be very, not cunning in a, in a bad sense, but, but just be very thoughtful. Be very wise. Be discreet uh, in everything that you do. Uh, and the reason, and, and he says, and couple with that, be as harmless as doves, right? Uh, in, in other words, be innocent before them. Uh, and, and so that's the standard, isn't it, that we hope. Uh, go before them, be very wise. Uh, and I think this is some place where we fought today. Uh, we want to believe that uh, uh, we don't have to present the gospel in a way that is thoughtful and is, is wise in a sense. And a lot of people believe that you could just take the gospel out into a place where it's into an inhospitable environment and, and like the, your force and your will is going to overcome that, in his, in, that his spot, in, uh, inhospitable environment. There we go. I might be able to spit it out here sooner or later. But that your force is just going to be able to go out and do this. Once upon a time, there was a period of time when that was a very effective mode. When the, when, when, when the society that we live in wasn't so against the things of God. It's because a lot of the times when we, when we read certain passages of Scripture, we just think that we're going to walk into a city and they're just going to fall down because of the preaching of the Lord. Jesus said that that wasn't going to be the case. He said there's going to be some that will receive you. There's going to be some that won't receive you. But remember, don't get discouraged over it. If it's a house or a city that won't receive your word, even with the works that I've, I've commanded you to do, which are to lend credibility to the words that I have given you to preach, if they still won't receive you, he says, shake off the dust of your feet. That, 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 is, that would be as a testimony against them, uh, of them, of their not being received.
But as it pertains to them, he gives, he gives this admonition. But beware of men. In the, in, the, in the 17th verse, he says, but beware of men. Now, why does he say that? But beware of the children of men, right? Because what's the condition of the heart of men? Why did God destroy the world? Because it was continually evil, wasn't it? Because it didn't rest in the things of God. And so there were going to be people that they were going to come in contact which were going to take very great offense to the things that they were hearing. And, uh, and, we, we, see, and he, we see examples of that playing out today. And so now listen here. Listen to what he says. This is the environment that he's sending them into. And he says this. The reason he says to beware of men, he says because they will deliver you up to the councils, right? He's talking about the Sanhedrin. They'll deliver you up to the councils. They'll scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Just exactly the same as they did to the Lord. They brought the Lord before the Sanhedrin. They brought the Lord before that. He was, he was, he was condemned in synagogues. He was brought before governors. He was brought before kings. All of these things. And he says all the things. Well, he's not saying this because it hadn't happened yet. But he says this is what they're going to do to you. They're going to bring you in before these people. We think. This is, this is where I, I kind of want to get us into this mindset. We, we, a lot of people today, when you talk to them, um, aren't as zealous as they should be in things concerning God. Let's put it that way. That's just to, to state it nicely, right? They're not as zealous as they should be in the things concerning God because oftentimes what they've been led to believe is that being a Christian... It's an easy thing. The people that God called in the Bible, the disciples that he called, he was calling them to a walk where they were giving up everything that they knew, they were forsaking everything that they knew, and they were going to be absolutely hated by every most people that they knew growing up. The people that they looked up to and, and reverenced to as, chil- as children uh, were going to be the same people that were going to condemn them in a lot of instances. And we're going to find fault with them. And we're going to take them before the council. Take them before the synagogues. Take them before governors. Take them before kings. And all of these things they're doing for them. That's why he says, be very discreet, be very thoughtful in what you do, and be and be sure, make sure you're innocent. <laughs> Don't behave yourself in a manner where you're not innocent. And, and so he's he, he's calling them into this work. And it was for a testimony against them in the Gentiles. Now. You think about that, and then we go back down here and we look at this. And all of these things you're going to face. 
In all of these instances of strife that are going to come and, con- and confront you, he says, this is what I want you to do. This is your motivational uh, speak uh, speech, I guess you should say. Have no fear. <laughs> Have no fear of whatever it is that they may do to you. Don't worry about it. Uh, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 8, it says this. It says, if thou seest the oppression of the poor, and remember, if we go over to the Sermon on the Mount, what is it that God said? One of the Beatitudes was that blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And, and that was the way they were to carry themselves. They weren't to be walking around as though they were some great somebody. They were just to present themselves as who they are. That's part of the reason why they would be rejected. <laughs> Men want to re- want to acknowledge uh, other people, and if they don't, and, and, and furthermore, men want to receive the recognition, don't they? That was the way of the Pharisees. That's what Jesus said the Pharisees' problem was, was that they wanted the praise and the applause of men. They wanted them to be looked up to by men, and that's why they would make broad the flackerties and uh, make broad the corners of their garments and, and do all those types of things, standing on the street corner, praying in public, so that people would see them and see how godly they were. But Jesus didn't send the twelve apostles, or the twelve disciples, that manner. He didn't send them in that way. But he said they're going to they're going to come after you. They're going to hate you. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to not love your life unto death. Right? Don't be afraid. We're going to get into this for just a minute. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, he says, marvel not at the matter. This is what uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. Why wouldn't you marvel at that? Why wouldn't that be something that you would find abhorrent? Because it is something that's abhorrent. And the answer is really very simple because that's what men do. (laughs) That's what they do. Whether it's for a bribe or whatever it may be for, that's what they do. And so here in Ecclesiastes, he says, when you see these things happening, don't marvel at the sight. But rest in this knowledge. Rest in this knowledge. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth the matter. (laughs) Right? God sees what's going on and let God take care of it. He'll take care of it in his own time, won't he? God will set right things that are wrong over time. It may not happen in your lifetime. It may not happen in the way that you want it to happen. But God will eventually, at some point, take care of the matter. And it, that verse ends up this way. It says, and there be higher, and, and there be higher than they, uh, in, uh, in, re- in reference to God. In reference to God. So care, fear not them which kill the body. Don't be afraid of them. Because they're not able to kill the soul. Right? That's the immortal part of man. The soul. They're going, to, they're going to oppress you. They're going to afflict you. You're going to find yourself in trouble and torment. And don't be afraid because they did the exact same thing to Jeremiah. 
They did all the same things to the prophets before. They did all the same things to those that God sent beforehand and they didn't want to listen to them and they didn't want to open their hearts to them. He says, you're going to have these battles. You're going to have these struggles. But don't be afraid because they can't touch your soul. Now, there's an interesting development within the world of evangelism. Or I'm going to put it this way. Within the world of evangelical Christianity. And now, you can largely find this development in the world of the charismatics. And it has to do with this very thing that Jesus is talking about. And so we're going to get into this. This is why I was going to make it Don't Fear Death. Um, but I've decided to make it instead don't chicken out because uh, not doing something for the sake of self-preservation is sin against God if that's what he's commanded you to do. He told them to go into all of Judea and preach the word to the lost sheep of the house of Israel uh, and if they wouldn't hear you, it wasn't on you, it was on them. I just commanded you to go and to preach that the kingdom of of the Lord is near. And, uh, and so he gets into this. Uh, as far as the oppressor goes, uh, in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 23, he says this, he says, But I will put it, and, and that is the cup of wrath which you're drinking out of, God says, I'll take it out of your hand, I'm going to put it in the hand of the oppressor, uh, and he says it th- this way, he says, But I will put it, meaning the cup of wrath, uh, which is filled with the dregs of wrath, right? The very bottom part of what's left in the cup after you get done drinking. And the best way I knew to, to, to explain this was when you're drinking coffee and it's come out of like a traditional filter, but I even have it happen with my Keurig sometimes, where you get a, some coffee grounds in the bottom of the cup. And that's kind of what's what it's talking about there when it talks about the dregs that were down in the bottom of the cup, the grinds that are left down in the bottom of the cup, the purest form of wrath. He says that I'm going to take the cup of wrath that you've been drinking. I'm going to take it out of your hand. I'm going to put it in the hand of those that are oppressing you. Uh, and he says, and in their hand, uh, and I want to put it in their hand that afflict thee, which have said to thy soul, bow down that we may go over, and that is to walk across them their necks, which was a, a pagan which was a practice amongst the pagan countries when they would oh, when, when they would conquer them and has laid thy body down as the ground and as the street to them that went over. They would just walk right over them. Um, pretty much the basest, the lowest form of humiliation that you can that you can have. They would do that to them. They would do that. Now what's interesting here, at least to me, and something I've never really thought about as I was studying this morning, the idea of death is is one that just it's it scares people. <laughs> but you know what? It's it's inevitable. <laughs> it's inevitable. It, everybody's going to go the way of all men. And so the only question is, what do you what's going to be found in it? Here he's talking to the apostles, and he says, Don't be afraid of them which kill the body, and they are not able to kill the soul. Now I mentioned about this teaching that's kind of found among charismatic circles. Uh, and here's the teaching. It's an old teaching. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with somebody this week, and they had asked about this teaching, and, and I said, Well, uh, let me let me clue you in. When the body dies, they say, 
it goes into into hell, and they'll use Sheol, right? Sheol, meaning the grave, and then they'll say there's two parts of it. One is torment, and the other one's not. And and let now hang on, hang on. This is going to get good. This is going to get good. And that's where the soul goes and waits until the day of resurrection. And when Jesus comes, and when Jesus comes, it'll rise. It'll re- reunite it with the body. It'll rise up, right? Uh, and and furthermore, did you know? They say that this is the place that Jesus went when he was in the grave, when it referred to Jesus going into hell. And and when he was down there, he led all the Old Testament patriarchs that were held captive out of captivity. I was like, gee, he was like, he's like, do you believe that Jesus walked through hell after he died? And I just said, no. (laughs) He said, why don't you believe that? I said, because I know where you're getting that. You're getting that from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. I said, but here's the problem. I said, that ain't some new revelation, my brother. <laughs> I said, that's a Catholic teaching from way back yonder, and the place that you just described, that's purgatory. <laughs> and we, don't, we know purgatory is not a place that exists. That's a fantastical illusion or revelation, or I don't even know what you want to call it. How about a, a falsehood uh, that was developed? Uh, but you will not believe the number of evangelical Christians today that subscribe to it. Because they just cannot understand in their mind that when you die, that your soul goes back to God who gave it. They reject that teaching because they say can't do it because judgment hadn't occurred. Folks, judgment occurs when you get saved. You don't have to wait for it. Jesus said, I came not to condemn because the world's already condemned. And so here, having been renewed to the newness of life, the apostles he's sending out to preach and proclaim the word to a lost and a dying world. Does this not sound familiar? But instead, they were supposed to go out and risk everything that everybody would have an opportunity to hear the gospel, the true gospel, and that they might be saved. Because even though death is something that comes upon us, He said, you are not going to have any fear of death. So when all these things I'm telling you to go do, you don't chicken out. You got to be like Joshua was when I sent Joshua in to conquer the land of Canaan. Before he went, I looked at him and I said, Joshua, be strong and of a good courage. And the words of this book, let them not depart out of your mouth. Now, I'm paraphrasing that. You can go back and read it. I don't want to quote all of Scripture today. (laughs) But that was a Catholic teaching. And there's so much of evangelical Christianity today that's teaching a Catholic teaching. And and I said, well, he said, why don't you believe that? I said, that's a Catholic teaching. He said, "Uh, can you prove that to me? So I just pulled up John Gill and just copied straight out of John Gill. I said, from John Gill and put it in there. I said, what you just described is purgatory. I said, it ain't ain't so. I was like, you can believe it is, but it's not true. And uh, and he was like, thanks. (laughs) This is a guy who, he's he's constantly uh, 
in study and constantly posting things. Does a, has a ton of groups, and uh, and and he was pre, he was advocating for for a Catholic doctrine. He didn't even realize he was, but it's been rebranded under all of these other Christian ideologies as just Sheol. And I was like, it's not just Sheol; it's purgatory. And so listen, why weren't they to be afraid of death? Have you ever asked yourself a question, why would Jesus look at them and say, look, don't be afraid of dying. Don't be afraid of them which can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now Jesus is going to really kind of expound on that in this next verse. And and I want to touch on this because he says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, right? Now a farthing was basically, it was a very small amount of money, right? So he's saying... Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? In other words, they're very cheap. I want to tell you how cheap they are. If we go over and we look in the book of Luke, uh, Luke is going to tell you how cheap they are because they've got them on sale over in the book of Luke. They're five sparrows for two farthings. So the more sparrows you get, the more money you give, the more sparrows you get, they're even less expensive. And so you look at that and you think about this and, and, the, and the things that, that Jesus is telling him. He's saying these sparrows, they're, they're relatively, they have no expense to them, right? If you're going to buy them, they don't really cost anything. They're not worth anything. They're not worth a lot of money. He says this about those sparrows, though. He says, but not one of them shall fall on the ground without your father. And what he's really talking about, Luke really gives a better explanation of that when he says they're not five sparrows sparrows sold for two farthings. He says this, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Right? Not one of those sparrows that fall from the sky, either through hunting or whatever means, not one of those sparrows that fall did God forget. But what did God do? He provided, didn't he? He said, I sat, they, they died so that you could have me. They died so that you could, you could eat. And so God providentially provided those sparrows, which in the sight of men were not really highly esteemed. They were actually viewed as very cheap. They'd probably be considered spam today. <laughs> Although spam gets pretty, it's, it's, everything's going up right now. And so then he says this. He contrasts the cheapness of the sparrows with how expensive that you are. Now remember, it's the, it's the 12 disciples he's talking to, but there's also a multitude there that's hearing this. That's what Luke has in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. There's a multitude hearing this. And he says, but as for you, whereas the sparrow is cheap and inexpensive, you are so, you are so expensive, right, for lack of a better word. You are so favored. You are so Necessary. You are so highly valued. I guess that would be a better way of saying it. You are so highly valued that the very hairs on your head are numbered. The very hairs on your head are numbered. It's a contrasting of something that's cheap with something that's really expensive. And so there you get it. And he says, so now whoever will confess me before men... Him will I confess before my Father. Don't chicken out. Don't be afraid of death. We go back over here and we touch on this. Why is it that he says, don't be, a fear, don't be afraid. 
They can't, they, that of them which can kill the body. Don't be afraid of dying. Why is it that he says don't be afraid of dying? Well, I want to touch on a few verses here really quickly and then I'm going to close. Numbers chapter 23 verse 10. I'm only going to give you the second half of that verse. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. And that was in reference to Jacob. In Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, we all love Psalm 23, and it's this, we all know this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Folks, Jesus walked through hell, but it wasn't before he went in the grave. He walked through hell before he went, or after he went in the grave. He walked through hell before he went in the grave. I'll get that right here in a minute. He walked through hell before he went in the grave to deliver the captives from their captivity. You're here today and you're... Think about this. Remember, he said a a sparrow is really cheap compared to your life. But as for himself, he said that the sparrows have got nests that they can call home, but he has nowhere to lay his head. Boy, you, you want to talk about somebody who knows everything that you've gone through in your life. Jesus is it. Jesus understands everything that you've gone through in your life, everything that you have experienced in your life. There's only one that you can take all that to, and he can say in all assurance, in all understanding... I understand. Because he's a great high priest who's experienced it all. That's why he came into this world, wasn't it? He's a great high priest, not like the high priest that came before, but he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek who experienced everything that we go through. Folks, we can't live the life that Jesus expects us to have and live that life in a state of fear, can we? We can't do it. The apostles couldn't have accomplished what Jesus had laid out if they weren't walking through all Judea with Psalm 23:4 on their mind. Because they were walking through the valley of the shadow of death every day that they were out doing that. Even today, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death every morning when we get up. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you may, I know a lot of times that gets referred to as right before you die. It's not. We, we live in the valley of the shadow of death. Proverbs 14.32, The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in death. Why does the righteous have hope in death? We only have to go to Lazarus and the rich man, don't we? That Lazarus died and the angels carried him immediately into Abraham's bosom, which was, which was an idiom, a Jewish idiom for heaven. The moment Lazarus died, the angels were waiting to take him into heaven. The moment the rich man died, in hell he lifted up his eyes in torment. It's not some innocuous two, two sides of the grave, <laughs> right? It's you're in heaven or you're in hell when you die. And so he's telling them, you don't need to be afraid because you're going to go to heaven. 
if, if that happens to you. Don't be afraid of it because they can't touch you after death. They can't affect you after death. Romans 14, 8, whether we live, whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we're the Lord's. See, when he was sending the apostles out, he was saying, don't be afraid of death because you are mine. <laughs> we sing the song, don't we? He is mine, I am his, and don't tell me what name of the song is because I can't pull it off the top of my head. Oh, that is it. Okay, there you go. He is mine and I am and, and, and his. And, uh, and, but we sing that song, uh, and that's the truth. Don't worry about it. You're mine. I'm yours. They can't touch you afterward. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the one that can, after death, kill you. <laughs> the one who can execute the second death, and that was God. And that is God. That is uh, Jesus that will be there at the great white throne of judgment. Philippians 1.21, I'm going to close here in just a minute. Uh, Philippians 1.21 says, for, for, for to me... For to me to live is Christ, and, he, and Paul says this in the Philippian letter, to die is gain. Remember, he's talking to Timothy. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. When? Once that earthly tabernacle is dissolved that he talked about in 2 Corinthians. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Amen? And in God's presence. <laughs> That's the best part about it. It's in God's presence. And, and so, why, why, why did Jesus say, you guys go do this. Don't worry about what's going to happen to you. Don't chicken out. But don't stop don't stop striving for the goals of heaven. Don't stop trying to make sure that everybody, all the lost sheep in the house of Israel, that they hear the gospel, that they get saved. Do not love your lives even unto death. Love the Lord more. Love me more. Do what I ask you to do. Do what I commanded you to do. Even if death falls upon you, it'll be gain. Isn't that crazy to think of? We think of, even in our churches, let's just be honest, death is approached. Death is approached as something to be lamented. Without a doubt, there is an absence that's there. Without a doubt, there is a longing to, to be in that presence of that person again. Without a doubt, there is. But for, a, but for a saint of God to pass away, the Bible says that it's a gain. <laughs> I'll tell you when the lamenting comes into place. is when you die without the Lord, that's when you lament. That's when you, that's when you weep. That's when you sorrow. When, when they die and they don't know the Lord, or I'll say it like this, when someone dies and they may have gone to church their whole life, but they never gave a profession of faith, and that doubt's there.
for those that remain, that's going to be a sad day because I don't know where you're at. I'll close with this thought. When my grandma, when my grandma died, when Grandma Combs died, Mom asked me if I'd preach her funeral. I said, sure. And I did. And I preached about eternal life. And I said, you see, you see the body of Gene Combs laying in this, in this coffin or in this casket. I said, but you don't have to fret because we know she's not there. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't, for those that know the Lord, when somebody who knows the Lord goes home, <laughs> that's not a sad day for them. That's a great day for them. We'll have that miss, we'll have that absence, we'll have that longing to be, be in their presence. But you know what you fill that up with? You fill that up with the Lord. <laughs> you, don't, you don't roll around in misery. At, you, you fill it up with the Lord. You say, ah, I take confidence in the Lord. That one day, that one day I'll be in his presence too. I'll be in his presence too. Go out and do what God has prescribed for you to do, what God has commanded us to do. We should be going out and doing that every day of our lives. We should be teaching our kids that, uh, as we talked about earlier. And whatever the cost may be, love the Lord as much as he loved you. He loved you unto death. He gave his life that you might have life. So love the Lord in the manner that he loved us. That's my message this morning. I pray that you got uh, got something out of it. If there's anybody here this morning and lost and the Lord is dealing with you, that's the time when you know it's time to seek the Lord. Brother Williams, if we can have a song.